Good morning, everyone. It is Sunday morning, several days since I recorded the sermon that you are about to watch. But I am here right now because there are things as I have spent much time in prayer uh, and in conversation and in reading uh, that I feel God is just prompting me to speak uh, in these days we find ourselves in. You know, in the midst of a global pandemic where isolation has been our new norm, uh, unemployment at an all-time high, our already pent-up and anxious nation has been confronted once again with the bleak reality of systematic racism and a broken justice system. You know, following the murder of George Floyd in Minneapolis and the unlawful shooting of Breonna Taylor in Louisville at the hands of the police, the very public servants that are supposed to protect us, as well as the horrific lynching of Ahmaud Arbery, combined with the delay in justice for all three deaths, has pushed our nation into an unprecedented time of unrest. We have seen nine days of protests as well as riots in cities across our country. It's left hundreds injured and at least 12 now dead. We're being fed an endless feed of outrage, looting and destruction, violence, and sadly the continued and unacceptable uh, excessive force, tear gas, batons, tasers, explosives and rubber bullets used by many officers as well as the National Guard. And to top it off, if that's not exhausting enough, we have an ideological war between the extreme right and left that is polarizing our nation. And these voices are using this moment to feed their narratives. And if you are like me, it is suffocating, terrifying, and enraging. One of the most heartbreaking uh, and disappointing moments for me uh, was watching our president. And let me just say that I do not identify with the left or the right. I am neither a Republican nor a Democrat. Uh, what I want to be is a law-abiding citizen uh, who follows the mandates of Scripture to pray for those who are put into power. But when I see my president use excessive force to clear out a peaceful demonstration for a photo op in front of a church that he does not intend holding a Bible that based upon his rhetoric gives me no reason to believe that he reads. It is heartbreaking and only feeds into the frustration uh, and the pressures that we are experiencing right now as a nation. I have been meditating a lot upon the words of Martin Luther King when he said, injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. Uh, a powerful black voice I just discovered, uh, Esau McCulley, who is a professor of New Testament theology at Wheaton, he's a pastor, and an author just said in an interview with Ed Setzer, there needs to be a public and robust statement that the followers of Jesus are on the side of those who are being unjustly treated. He goes on to say that instead of being freaked out and angered 
so angered by the riots that we see uh, that are in the midst of our demonstrations that we need to understand, just as MLK said, what is being said. And he says that a riot is a manifestation of hopelessness. The only people, he goes on to say, who have the social and moral standing to speak to a community of unrest is people who at least can begin to understand the cause of that unrest. There is no question that Christians are opposed to riots. There seems to be a question of whether or not Christians should speak out against systematic oppression. I found that statement deeply convicting. And thus, I just wanted to share with you three things that I just feel I need to grow in uh, as a pastor, as I am trying to understand uh, the days uh, in which I find myself. Number one, I am needing more compassion. You know, James 1 says, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. And talking with many of my black friends who are both in ministry and outside of ministry, uh, one of the, the common things that they said, I said, what can I as a white man do that would be helpful? And one of the first things they said, all of them across the board said, this is a time to listen and to learn. This is not a time for me to give opinions, but to listen and learn from my brothers and sisters of color, to stand by them in their pain, to not ignore, deny, or avoid our country's long, dark history of slavery, segregation, and continued systematic racism. I may not understand what it is like to be black, but I can listen, I can learn, and I can care. Compassion is revealed by our willingness to hear people out, to enter into people's pain, to try to understand where they are coming from. Uh, it has been said that an absence of compassion uh, can corrupt the decency of a community, a state, and a nation. And I see that being played out in the highest offices of power right now. And I see it in myself. Secondly, I need more humility. Uh, James chapter 4, verses 7 through 8 says, Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. We love that verse, submit yourselves then to God, to come near to him and he will come near to you. But we do not like what follows. To wash our hands, to purify our hearts, to recognize that we are often double-minded, that we are called to grieve and mourn and wail over our own sin and brokenness, that we are to change our laughter to mourning and our joy to gloom, that there is a time for laughter, but there is also a time for mourning, that we are to humble ourselves before the Lord, that he might lift us up. Another thing that my black friends spoke in unison around things that we can do is to mourn the injustices and the brokenness in the world, 
to repent of ways that we have been apathetic uh, to the plight of African Americans and other people of color in this nation. I need to mourn injustice. I need to recognize uh, that I have at times been indifferent and apathetic, that I have been defensive and participated in blame shifting. You know, Just Mercy, uh, written by Brian Stevenson, and this is a, a book that I think everybody should read, uh, writes toward the end of the book. Uh, he says, Thomas Merton said, we are bodies of broken bones. I guess I'd always known, but never fully considered that being broken is what makes us human. We all have our reasons. Sometimes we're fractured by the choices we make. Sometimes we're shattered by things we would never have chosen. But our brokenness is also the source of our common humanity, the basis of our shared search for comfort, meaning, and healing. Our shared vulnerability and imperfection nurtures and sustains our capacity for compassion. When I humble myself and enter into the brokenness of the world because I understand that I myself am broken, it actually becomes the very source by which real healing can happen. I recognize, uh, as many of you have pointed out, that I have tended to emphasize uh, personal conversion over social justice. And it is true. I have often missed the mark when it comes to addressing systemic structural issues in our nation, sometimes out of ignorance, sometimes out of discomfort, and even apathy, that feeling of what can I do to make a difference. I stand by the strong belief that the gospel and the transformation of the human heart uh, when people repent and put their trust in Jesus is the central key to, uh, to reconciliation, as you'll hear in the message. But that doesn't mean that I'm to ignore social issues. It doesn't mean that I'm to turn a blind eye to injustice. As John Perkins wrote in his book, Let Justice Roll, the reason we haven't solved the race problem in America after hundreds of years is that people apart from God are trying to create unity while people under God who already have unity are not living out the unity we possess. I was deeply uh, just touched by that and convicted by that, that word. Finally, I need understanding. Second uh, Thessalonians chapter three, uh, verse 13 says, do not grow weary uh, of doing good. Compassion and humility can lead me to right understanding that this is not something uh, the black community is asking me to fix, but to recognize the reality of racism and be engaged alongside them in pursuit of a solution. As my dear friend Craig Okpala, who is a black pastor uh, of a church in Jersey City, uh, told me yesterday, we need to stop trying to fix things so quickly and recognize that this is something that we have to be in for the long haul. And so in all of these things, to you, the church, uh, and uh, to, to my brothers and sisters of color, 
I want to say, first of all, I stand against racism and police brutality and injustice of all forms because Jesus did and because as carriers of the gospel, I must be uh, engaged in how the gospel should reach every arena of human existence. And I want to secondly say I come to my brothers and sisters of color and let you know that I'm listening to, I'm hurting with, and I'm standing by you in this time. May Jesus bring healing in these dark days. I love you all very much. I'm praying for you. Please pray for me as well. Well, hello, Door of Hope. Uh, it is good to be with you today, even though I come with a heavy heart uh, in light of this last week. I know many of you uh, were wondering why I did not comment on uh, what is happening in the nation last week. And I just want to remind you that uh, we record the messages early in the week. And when we recorded last week's message, uh, things had not really uh, really begun to happen yet. Uh, so uh, for, forgive me for not putting out something, uh, but I knew I wanted to do a special message uh, this week to address what's going on, especially as it unfolded over the weekend. Um, so we're going to take a break from Romans today and really just focus in on 2 Corinthians uh, in chapter 5. Because the question that I want to pose for us in light of what is happening uh, in our country, as we, as we have all been probably uh, captivated by the endless uh, news feed that is feeding into our minds violent images, seeing people die on screen, uh, watching the destruction of our cities, uh, being confronted uh, with the awkwardness of not knowing, especially if you are white, how to address uh, racism in our nation uh, and how to discuss it in the deeply polarized reality of our nation politically and the silence, the very troubling silence of our president in regards to all of this. And, and the almost dystopian quality uh, to what we are watching uh, on television is as militarized police force march through cities and shoot rubber bullets and tear gas into crowds, it can become quite disturbing to the point that it so captivates our attention that we lose sight of what it is that we are primarily called to as Christians. I posted on Saturday a quote from Martin Luther King that I found uh, extremely convicting. Uh, and it was a quote around King's thoughts over riots. As we know, Martin Luther King, as kind of the key central figurehead of the civil rights movement, uh, combated injustice with, uh, with, with a passivity, a willingness to stand up against injustice, but a refusal to respond to injustice with violence. And that passive resistance 
was incredibly effective. But there were still times where riots would break out. Uh, in fact, I was reading about a time in which, in which King was deeply troubled. He was trying to bring a change to some particular policies in Memphis. And there was a group of young kind of radicals that joined the sort of passive protest and began to riot and cause destruction in the city. And it sort of squelched uh, King's efforts. And he wrote about riots. He said, whenever there is a riot going on, uh, it means that there is something that we are not listening to. And, and I think that that is an important point. And there are things that we have not done a good job listening to uh, as a nation, as a people, uh, especially when it comes to oppression, uh, especially when it comes to racism. Uh, and I think for me as a pastor, uh, in my desire to keep things centrally focused upon the gospel, uh, I have erred at times toward almost a quietism when it comes to political or social engagement. And, and part of that is because I have seen uh, social justice movements overtake the gospel, uh, take its place where the cause uh, that one is living for becomes more important than Christ or the, or the cross. And, and so I've been really praying through how do we engage intelligently in these very, very complicated matters in a way that, that continues to bring honor to King Jesus and continues to keep the main thing the main thing. There are people that are really hurt. There are people that are really scared. Racism is vile and in complete opposition to the gospel. That there are systems in place that are unfair. That we have a very dark history as a country that cannot be ignored or denied. We can pass policies and put into law things that can change uh, the kind of force that our police force can use. But when it comes to matters of the heart, we as Christians know better than anyone, uh, we should at least, that sin is the fundamental issue. The, the heart of the problem is the problem of the heart. And this is why we can't lose sight of the gospel, because as ambassadors of reconciliation, we believe that it is fundamentally impossible to reconcile brother with brother, sister with sister, black and white. We cannot reconcile these, these controversies apart from a transformation that can only come from within. For Jesus is himself, the one for the many and the many in the one. And so I, I want us to, to think about this today because I think that one of the challenges is that as you allow your attention to be primarily controlled by your news feed, you are getting bits and pieces of information that are so visceral that it is impossible to even come away with a clear understanding. It, it freezes us, it paralyzes us. Uh, and it's not that we shouldn't be confronted with atrocities and evil. We need to know and to have our eyes open to the things that are happening because we are told to hate what is evil and to love what is good. Um, but I think that the problem is, is that sometimes we are so, so confronted with so much information, but it's coming to us in such discombobulated ways that we are incapable of even knowing what to do with it. And so I think that we have to come back to the heart of the gospel and ask the question, does the gospel answer the dilemmas that we are dealing with today? And I would argue that it does. 
but it does it in a way that is counterintuitive to the world. Listen, we are in a time in which grace is under pressure and it is easy for us to abandon our faith in our grace the grace that is that is that is the central gift god's one way love toward us as sinners uh, when we become so worked up that hatred replaces love that anger uh, never ceases and that bitterness becomes the outworking of our attempts for justice and so let's begin in second corinthians chapter 5 verses 14 through 17 and i want to just begin by stating the first point. Love is our motive as followers of Jesus, not hatred. For Christ's love compels us, Paul writes, because we are convinced that one died for all. And what does all mean in scripture? All means all, and that's all all means. The reality is, is that Christ died for all people. The cross puts all people on an even playing field. Grace replaces fairness with equality. We are all in the same position. We are sinners in need of grace. And so here we are told the love of Jesus is the thing that should be our motivation, not hatred. Because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. We cannot erase the past when it comes to this nation's history of slavery and segregation, of continued, of continued racism that continues to, to rear its ugly head. And, and if most of us are honest, we experience it in our own families. Uh, we ourselves have to recognize that we often, because we are so shaped by our media and our entertainment, have, have caricatures of races that infiltrate and, and create within us narratives that are, that are inaccurate or blown out of proportion. We can't deny these realities. But what we can say uh, and we can't erase these histories, but what we can say is that if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, that the answer to the hatred that is being experienced in the world, I saw the most disturbing and heartbreaking image this morning of, of, of a man who confronts a, a group, and once again, it's a clip, you don't get to see the whole interaction, I don't know what this man did to provoke people. It sounds like he said, all lives matter. He was chased down by two young white guys in the city and is, is pushed so hard that he hits his head and is immediately knocked out when another young white man runs up and kicks him so hard in the face that there is left on the ground a pool of blood and teeth. And who walks up to him and helps him is a group of young black protesters that help him off the ground and, and, and are even saying to him, we do not agree with your stance, but we want you to know we are not for violence. 
Now this is deeply troubling to me because it speaks to the, the mixture that is at play. And here is the thing, it does not matter whether you are unsaved or saved. Even for us as believers, the things that we do in the power of the Holy Spirit is mixture. It's something that I hammer on again and again. Love is our motivation because grace is unfair because all of us are fundamentally broken. And there is, there is sin, we are capable of great evil and harm. Uh, and we need to understand that. And the more we understand that we ourselves are sinners in need of grace, the more we will be able to deal with others gently, that love will be our motivation because we know how much we have been loved by a God when we did not deserve it. And so I think that I share that troubling story with you because, because when I see those young men act in such incredible hostility, I don't see in them something that is foreign to myself. That's what's troubling. And yet we wanna stand apart from that. We say, I hate those guys because I'm not like them. I hate that officer kneeling on George Floyd's neck. What I hate is sin because it robs God of what he loves, which is people. I hate injustice because our brother is any person that is in front of us, behind us, or next to us at any moment, in any day. And as Christians, we cannot lose sight of the gospel of grace, which goes to people, not because they deserve it, but because God is graciously pursuing broken and sinful and hurting people. And we as Christians are called to be reminding the world again and again that it is possible to experience new creation to not be controlled. We can't escape our past, but we do not need to be dominated by it. That we can, we can experience the possibility of real freedom, but that freedom is not found in, in grabbing a hold of our own rights. That is a freedom that comes to us through our total surrender to Jesus. Love is our motive, not hatred. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 4-6 through six says, The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel. We shouldn't be surprised that people are raging. We shouldn't be surprised that our African-American brothers and sisters are outraged by what they watched on the news. And we should feel with them the, the grief at the injustice. But we also should not be surprised that the response is not in accordance with the gospel when people are blinded by the rage that Satan is reveling in right now. I mean, think about this. Paul is very clear. He says, do not let the sun go down on your anger uh, and give a foothold to the devil. I am not convinced that righteous indignation is even possible for us to actually hold uh, for any length of time. Uh, our, our indignation often leads to, uh, to a hostility that actually fights against the gospel of grace, which is so counterintuitive. This is why I believe the only safe place to take our anger is directly to God and ask that he transform that heart of hatred and bitterness and give us a heart of love, help us to love those who hate us. As many of the great civil rights leaders 
often showed again and again was a willingness. They weren't, it's not that they weren't outraged by the atrocities being committed against innocent lives for the color of their skin. It's that they were able to channel that anger into being vehicles of grace because they knew that reconciliation to the Creator Himself through the blood of Jesus is the only way to actually eradicate the bitterness that is produced by the cycle of violence and anger. Romans 13 verses 8 through 10 says, Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law, the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. There may be are summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. I think of Jesus' own words that when we, when we are angry at our brother and sister without cause, when we channel our own brokenness upon to others, when we refuse forgiveness and mercy toward those who fight against what we know to be true, we actually end up creating what René Girard, the French philosopher, called a, a universe of scapegoats. And this is essentially what's happening right now. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a long tirade of finger-pointing. The police are to blame, the president's to blame, this, this group is to blame. And the fact is, is that if every one of us just took a look into our own hearts, we would discover that without Jesus we are lost and we are bound to bring destruction into one another's lives. This is, this is the belief in low anthropology, as I said. If, if anything over the last couple weeks has, has rang more true in my own mind is that people are far more wicked than they like to believe and that grace is more absolutely otherworldly uh, and more needed uh, than anything else the world can provide. Only God's one-way love can bring the healing that we are seeking. And this is why we need to understand love is the fulfillment of the law. Is it law that you want exercised right now or is it grace? As Christians, what we should be presenting to the world is grace. And grace doesn't mean throwing out our opinions on everything that comes out and social media, ranting endlessly on Facebook on your particular political position. Grace means that the main thing that you are loyal to is King Jesus and his reconciling love because his blood was spilled for all people and we have come to share that message of love, not hatred. Secondly, reconciliation is our ministry, not judgment. 2 Corinthians 5, 18 through 21, it says, All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, so that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. I love this passage because this tells us what our ministry is. If love is the motivation for the Christian life, uh, 
especially in a time of great distress and unrest in our nation. Reconciliation is the ministry. One of the great uh, social uh, justice thinkers of today, uh, it, uh, John Perkins, in his three R's of reconciliation, is recon it's reconciliation, redistribution, and relocation, his whole thing is that, that we can't just talk about uh, injustice in the world, that the gospel demands as a reconciled people that we bring that gospel of reconciliation uh, to the broken, to the hurting, that we be conduits of healing, uh, that we are, we are vehicles of peace in, in, a, in a time and in a moment of great outrage and violence. What are things that we could be doing right now? There, I'm going to be putting up on our website ways that we can be engaged in reconciliation in our city. One of the simple ways is actually just going down into what looks like a war-torn uh, area, which downtown has just been decimated uh, by riots and by looting and by vandalism and graffiti. And much of this is done by those who have nothing to do with, uh, with the desire to see justice uh, happen and real change in society. The, there, is, there are always going to be mixture in these crowds and the result is going to be uh, a lot of damage done. How can we be vehicles of peace? One of the ways is that we can help with the cleanup. One of the ways is that we can, with our friends of color, are we listening? Are we not offering our very sordid opinions, which are generally not well-informed? Uh, I can't speak to the black experience in America, but I can listen, I can care, I can be engaged. Uh, the gospel of reconciliation is not something that, that stays in the mind. It's, it is something that comes from the heart and it moves the hands and feet to be conduits of grace. But the primary responsibility of the believer is to present the truth of who Jesus is to a lost and broken world. And we do this through our words and we do this through our deeds. I may not be able to speak to the black experience in America, but I can share the gospel. And the gospel transcends race, period. And therefore, we have to understand that this is our ministry. It's not judgment. It's not my place to judge the motives of others. It's my responsibility to proclaim the cross again and again as our center. In fact, Howard Thurman, one of the key leaders in the civil rights movement, he was the pastor to, to MLK, uh, and sadly he is, is not well known uh, among, among many of, of this current generation, uh, especially younger generations, and he is worth reading. Uh, he has, I've read two books by him now this week, and his Meditations of the Heart is a collection of his prayers, and I mean, he was just an amazing, uh, amazing, not just a great black thinker, a great thinker and spiritual leader of the 20th century. Uh, and he said, every judgment that I pass upon my fellows is self-judgment. Judgment can only be whole and creative when it takes place in a context of full and absolute knowledge. Full and absolute knowledge, even of one's self, is never possible. How can it be with reference to others? Again, it becomes us to say with true humility, judgment belongs to God and one can only pray, search me, O God, and know my heart. Mercy 
is greater than judgment. I think that where we should begin to be the harshest is on, in regards to our own lives. Be hardest on yourself and easiest on others. Recognize that we never know the whole story. That we don't, we don't have the full picture, but we do have the gospel. And we have the gospel which should generate action in our lives. And that we want to see as many people come into the kingdom of God to meet the living Christ who weeps over their pain, who knows every person that is alive, who has lived and who will live better than we will ever know ourselves. Ask Jesus to empower us to be ambassadors of his reconciliation. Are we willing to enter into that enemy territory and courageously say, I have a better way. And the better way is not a political is not a political movement. It is, it is a gospel movement. It is a God-centered thing. It's about God reconciling sinful humanity to himself. And I want to be a conduit of his healing, his peace. I'm going to care for the vulnerable. I'm going to feed the homeless. I'm going to, I'm going to be there in the midst of demonstrators to say, Jesus is the way. He is the truth. You see, we are so afraid of being identified with movements we disagree with that often we don't even take the time to even understand where people are coming from. The gospel of reconciliation should eradicate those fears because we're willing to admit that we don't know everything and we're not going to try to say we know everything. What we do know is this, that Jesus Christ came into this world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Finally, Christ is our master, not fear. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 3-10, through 10, we put no stumbling block in anyone's path so that our ministry will not be discredited. And I think that this is one of the things that happens when we as Christians spend more time talking about politics and what we believe and don't believe about what's happening in the world and getting trapped in conspiracy theories and, and preaching from the left or from the right. Listen, this is, that is not our role as Christians. Our, our, we are not to put stumbling blocks in anyone's path. What, the only stumbling block that we are to put up in front of people is the cross. And the cross is plenty, it is a big enough stumbling block. We put no stumbling block in anyone's path so that our ministry will not be discredited. Rather, as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way, in great endurance in troubles, hardships and distresses, in beatings, imprisonments and riots, in hard work, sleepless nights and hunger, in purity, understanding, patience and kindness, in the Holy Spirit and in sincere love, in truthful speech and in the power of God, with weapons of righteousness in the right hand and in the left, through glory and dishonor, bad report and good report, genuine yet regarded as imposters, known yet regarded as unknown, dying and yet we live on, beaten and yet not killed, sorrowful yet always rejoicing, poor yet making many rich, having nothing and yet possessing everything. Not many Christians can speak those words in any kind of experienced way. But should we not be a people that are driven by the gospel, not by the fear of man? I think one of the things that has really come out of, of 
what is happening right now is is a tremendous amount of fear. I mean, when you compound what's happening in the nation around the murder of George Floyd and the protests and the riots with the months of quarantine and isolation and a mystery illness that's killing our one of our most vulnerable groups, which is our elderly, which is one of the reasons that I get so frustrated. And if I seem frustrated in this message, it's because I have been being bombarded with a million views about what we should be doing as a church based upon whatever your political bent is. This is a frustrating time in which what we need to be focused in is not our personal rights, but what is best for the church, what is best for the gospel, what is best for Jesus, what is best for the most vulnerable in our midst. And I think that we need to move out of this place of bitterness and fear. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. And our responsibility is to continually be conduits of the unfair grace of God, that His grace is for everyone. I, I think that this is one of the things, it's not wrong to desire justice when we see injustice. In fact, it's right and godly. But the line becomes blurred when for us, justice is actually flowing out of hatred and judgment rather than love and reconciliation. When it flows out of when it flows out of hatred and judgment and fear, and it is not motivated by love and reconciliation and Jesus as our King, we have a deep problem. And therefore, we as a church have to come back to that place in which we recognize that one of the counterintuitive realities of the gospel is that we are not here for our own happiness. In fact, we know the truth that our joy is actually found when our lives are laid down for the good of him who laid down his life for us. And we lay down our life for Jesus when we lay it down for our neighbor. And our neighbor is everyone we come in contact with. You guys, I do not want the gospel of Jesus to receive a bad name. We should not be dragging the name of Jesus through the mud because we have become so polarized by an increasingly volatile uh, industry and, and empire in which we live. And it is an empire of illusion. Listen, America as, as the, the land of the free, empires come and go. And what we are waiting for is not the restoration to Amer of America to its great potential, but what we are waiting for is the coming of a kingdom that is yet to come in full, and that is the kingdom of God. My loyalty, I am grateful that I am an American. I'm grateful for this nation. I'm grateful for the freedom to preach. I am grateful for the government. I want it to do better. I want more for my president, but I don't stop praying for him. Uh, I want more uh, from my politicians, which is why I should pray for them and why I should be engaged in voting if I want real change. But my primary loyalty, first and foremost, is to King Jesus and his gospel. And, and that gospel must stand above and against everything that is opposed to it. So may we be conduits 
of grace. May we be a people that are compelled by love, given to a ministry of reconciliation, surrendered to Jesus as our master, not fear. Nothing is more truthful than acknowledging that you do not have the whole truth. You don't have to be afraid of the fact that you don't know what to say. Maybe we just need to learn how to listen a little better. I know I do. I know that I have been silent in times when I shouldn't be silent. And there are times, I'm sure in this message, where I've spoken on things that I should not have spoken. I fully recognize when it comes to giving any sort of commentary on the current situation that our nation and the world finds itself in, I am, as almost all of us are, out of our depth. But I do know in whom I have believed, and I am convinced that He is able to complete what it is that He has begun. He is the author and the finisher of life. He is the author and finisher of our faith. And so I want to just close with this powerful prayer by the civil rights pastor uh, and, and the man who was often the one that Martin Luther King turned to for advice, Howard Thurman, in this simple prayer called To Overcome Evil. He says, I seek the strength to overcome evil. I seek the strength to overcome the tendency to evil in my own heart. I recognize the tendency to do the unkind thing when the mood of retaliation or revenge rides high in my spirit. I recognize the tendency to make of others a means to my own ends. I recognize the tendency to yield to fear and cowardice when fearlessness and courage seem to fit easily into the pattern of my security. I seek the strength to overcome the tendency to evil in my own heart. I seek the strength to overcome the evil that is present all about me. I recognize the evil in much of the organized life about me. I recognize the evil in the will to power as found in groups, institutions, and individuals. I recognize the terrible havoc of hate and bitterness which makes for fear and panic in the common life. I seek the strength to overcome the evil that is present all about me. I seek the strength to overcome evil. I must not be overcome by evil. I seek the purification of my own heart, the purging of my own motives. I seek the strength to withstand the logic of bitterness, the terrible divisiveness of hate, the demonic triumph of the conquest of others. What I seek for myself, I desire with all my heart, for friend and foe alike. I seek the strength to overcome evil. And how do we overcome evil? By drawing near to the good. Jesus alone is good. He is the answer. And if anyone be in Christ, he is a new creation. May the grace of God be our strength today. And may we truly experience grace under the pressure of what is happening in this world. And may we not lose sight of the goal, which is God's kingdom now and forever. I love you guys so much. My prayers are with you. And may we continue to seek God in this great time of turmoil. And may we be part of the answer to the healing of this place in which we live. And I believe it is the gospel that brings that healing. Till next time, this is Josh.
We are calling for the Holy Spirit. We are calling for the Holy Dove who descended down from heaven to the head of the chosen one. We are calling for the new heaven. We are calling for the kingdom come to take all the sins of this world and place them with perfect Mighty wind, fall on me. Mighty wind, you're all we need. Mighty wind, come rushing in. Save yourself, it's free from sin. We are praying for your clear direction. We are praying for your guiding hand to feel the presence of the King beside us, leading us to the promised land. Mighty wind, fall on me. Mighty wind, you're all. Mighty wind, come rushing in. Savior, set us free from sin.
given me hope. You've given me hope in a dying world. Oh, my love, you've given me life. You are the rock on which I stand. All my days I sing to you praises. I'll sing to you praises with every breath. Fix my gaze on the one who saves us. The one who saves us even from death. Oh, my love. Given me hope, given me hope in a dying world. Oh, my love, given me life. You are the rock on which I stand. All my days. I sing to you praises. I sing to you praises with every breath. Fix my gaze on the one who saves us. The one who saves us even from death. All my days I sing to you praises. I sing to you praises with every breath. Fix my gaze on the one who saves us. The one who saves.